0: You're listening to The Mystic Show, episode 132. Welcome to The Mystic Show. I'm your host, Chris Curran. I'm happy that you're here. This is the show where we talk about spiritual topics. Meditation, mindfulness, uh, consciousness, a lot of self-help too, because, you know, if we don't implement these, you know, if we don't implement these concepts into our life, and make changes in ourselves, what good is it, right? So the purpose of this show is is just that, to inspire you and me to become more spiritually, or some would say become less spiritually. Um, Some people say the spiritual journey is a process of unbecoming, right? Sort of tearing down all the the walls that we've built up, all the barriers to to God or to spirit, right? We release new episodes every Friday, and you can find us at themysticshow.net. That's the website. You can also find the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher and now TuneIn Radio as well. And, of course, um, sign up for our behind-the-scenes emails if you'd like. You can do that at themysticshow.net, and you also get a copy of Relax with Rumi, which is an audio project I made. It's like 49 minutes long, it's relaxing music, and I read selected Rumi quotes over it. It's really very cool. Um, Our topic today is going to be timing. 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 But first, I just want to say hello and thank you to our sponsor and our sister organization, Pause Your Life. Pause Your Life offers meetups and retreats for those people who just want to hit the pause button on their life, just want to stop the craziness for a few hours or a few days. pauseyourlife.org is the website. There's a link to it in the show post. And by the way, I'm not sure if you've listened to some of our previous episodes, but we've, in the last 10 episodes or so, we've done some great interviews and covered some really nice topics. Um, last week, we spoke to Rona Post about practicing mindfulness and living with an open heart. And then the week before, two weeks ago, it was 20 questions for every spiritual seeker. And I, and I also read a story on that one. And then the three weeks ago was the, the exercises and readings from our Pause Your Life 2015 Spring Retreat. That's a good one because you get to hear pretty much everything we did on the retreat, and I read the actual the excerpts of readings that we did as part of the program at the retreat. Um, and then about a month ago was Approaching the Spiritual Goal of Human Life, The Center. And five weeks ago was Franny Rose... Which was a great interview. Thank you, Franny. So, today we're going to talk about timing. And I'm not sure what to call the episode. I mean, spiritual timing. But basically, I'm going to read a story. Um, A story, which is called The Man Whose Time Was Wrong. The Man Whose Time Was Wrong. And it's from a book... Called Tales of the Dervishes by Indriss Shah, and I'm going to read the story. It's a very interesting story. This book, uh, Tales of the Dervishes, the subtitle is Teaching Stories of the Sufi Masters over the past thousand years. So these are like little short stories. They're pretty cool. Um, they're very cool. Very simple. You know, I caught myself reading some of the stories and you know expecting some you know, hugely awesome, you know, revelation by the end of the story. And you don't get that because spiritual truths are simple. (laughs) They're not uh, glamorous and glittery and enticing. You know, they're simple, (laughs) like nature. So why don't we read the story? Um, You can listen to the story, then we can talk about it. But then I also have a lot of other points that I want to share on this episode about timing, you know, because timing's important, you know, in our lives. Sometimes we want things to happen like right now or yesterday, <laughs> and uh, and they don't happen for many years. And there's a reason for that. Sometimes we we really hope that something does not happen for many years, but then it happens today. So timing in terms of spirituality, is a, is an interesting concept. So let me just go ahead and read this. This is called The Man Whose Time Was Wrong. Once upon a time, there was a rich merchant who lived in Baghdad. He had a substantial house, large and small properties, and dows which sailed to the Indies with rich cargoes. He had gained these things partly through inheritance— Partly through his own efforts, exercised at the right time and place. Partly through the benevolent advice and direction of the King of the West, as the Sultan of Cordoba was called at the time. Then something went wrong. A cruel oppressor seized the land and houses. Ships which had gone to the Indies foundered in typhoons. Disaster struck his house and his family. Even his close friends seemed to have lost their power to be in a true harmony with him, although both he and they wanted to have the right kind of social relationship. The merchant decided to journey to Spain to see his former patron, and he set off across the western desert. On the way, one accident after another overtook him. His donkey died. He was captured by bandits, "'and sold into slavery, "'from which he escaped only with the greatest difficulty. "'His face was tanned by the sun until it was like leather. "'Rough villagers drove him away from their doors. "'Here and there, a dervish gave him a morsel of food "'and a rag to cover himself. "'Sometimes he was able to scoop a little fresh water from a pool.' but more often than not, it was brackish. Ultimately, he reached the entrance of the Palace of the King of the West. Even here, he had the greatest difficulty in gaining entry. Soldiers pushed him away with the halves of their spears. Chamberlains refused to talk to him. He was put to work as a minor employee at the court until he could earn enough to buy a dress suitable to wear when applying to the Master of Ceremonies for admission to the royal presence. But he remembered that he was near to the presence of the king, and the recollection of the sultan's kindness to him long ago was still in his mind, because, however he had been so long in his state of poverty and distress, his manners had suffered and the master of ceremonies decided that he would have to take a course in behavior and self-discipline before he could allow him to be presented at court. All this the merchant endured, until, three years after he quit Baghdad, he was shown into the audience hall. The king recognized him at once, asked him how he was, and bade him sit in the place of honor beside him. Your majesty, said the merchant, I have suffered most terribly these past years. My lands were usurped, my patrimony expropriated, my ships were lost, and with them all my capital. For three years I have battled against hunger, bandits, the desert, people whose language I did not understand. Here I am to throw myself upon your majesty's mercy." The king turned to the chamberlain. Give him a hundred sheep. Make him a royal shepherd. Send him upon yonder mountain and let him get on with his work. Slightly subdued because the king's generosity seemed less than he had hoped for, the merchant withdrew after the customary salutation. No sooner had he reached the scanty pasturage with his sheep Then a plague struck them, and they all died. He returned to the court. How are your sheep? asked the king. Your majesty, they died as soon as I got them to their pasture. The king made a sign and decreed, Give this man fifty sheep, and let him tend them until further notice. Feeling ashamed and distraught, the shepherd took the fifty animals to the mountainside. They started to nibble the grass well enough but suddenly a couple of wild dogs appeared and chased them over a precipice and they were all killed. The merchant, greatly sorrowing, returned to the king and told him his story. Very well, said the king. You may now take 25 sheep and continue as before. With almost no hope left in his heart, and feeling distraught beyond measure because he did not feel himself to be a shepherd in any sense of the word, the merchant took his sheep to their pasture. As soon as he got them there, he found that the ewes all gave birth to twins, nearly doubling his flock. Then again, twins were born. These new sheep were fat and well-fleeced and made excellent eating. The merchant found that, by selling some of the sheep and buying others, the ones which he bought, at first so skimpy and small, grew strong and healthy, and resembled the amazing new breed which he was rearing. After three years he was able to return to the court, splendidly attired, with his report of the way in which the sheep had prospered during his stewardship he was immediately admitted to the presence of the king. "'Are you now a successful shepherd?' the monarch asked. "'Yes, indeed, your majesty. "'In an incomprehensible way, my luck turned, "'and I can say that nothing has gone wrong, "'although I still have little taste for raising sheep.' "'Very well,' said the king. "'Yonder is the kingdom of Seville, "'whose throne is in my gift.' Go and let it be known that I make you king of Seville. And he touched him on the shoulder with the ceremonial axe. The merchant could not restrain himself and burst out, "But why did you not make me a king when I first came to you? Were you testing my patience, already stretched almost to the breaking point, or was this to teach me something?" The king laughed. Let us just say that on the day when you took the hundred sheep up to the mountain and lost them, had you taken control of the kingdom of Seville, there would not have been one stone standing on top of another there today. And we will take a quick break just to ponder that for a minute. All right, welcome back to The Mystic Show. That was a cool story. And just a reminder, if you want to sign up for our behind-the-scenes email list, um, you also get the Relax With Rumi audio. And if you'd like to consider supporting The Mystic Show, there are several ways you can do that. You can share each episode on your social media, like your Facebook and your Twitter. Um, you can give our show a rating and a review in iTunes. That helps. If you're using iTunes uh, or the podcasts app or you're using, you know, you have an iPhone or an iPad, if you can rate and review our show, that really helps us a lot. And we also have uh, something set up where you can contribute a dollar or two or three per episode to help us continue to produce the show. Um, You can find more information about that on our website, themysticshow.net. And yes, that story... I really liked a lot because I must say in my life, I, I always think I'm ready for something like the next phase of my life or the next goal that I want to reach. I always feel like, you know what? I'm ready right now. I should have it right now. (laughs) And I usually, when I try to achieve it, it takes usually longer than expected and you know you have to develop patience, <laughs> or I have to develop patience, so this story right look what happened the the man was was a well off man, and he just his luck turned, and he lost everything. so he went to his friend who was a king, and he asked the king for help, and the king gave him like a little small job you know go go tend these hundred sheep and 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 the man was a little bit, you know, really? That's it? That's all you're going to give me? (laughs) Uh, But he went and did it, of course. And the 100 sheep died. And then he went back and got 50 sheep. They died. Then he went back and got 25 sheep. And he was able to take those 25 and to build a nice flock. Very successful. And then when he went back to the king, that's when the king gave him... uh, Seville, which was a uh, a kingdom nearby, and he made him a king. And he says, why didn't, you know, when I came to you for help, why didn't you make me a king at that time? And he says, you know, if I had given you the kingdom then, there'd basically be nothing left of it <laughs> by now. So I think it's interesting in life how nature or spirit seems to take its time and, and we don't really understand all that's involved with that. Like I said, in my life, I always think I'm ready and, but, but really I'm not, you know, I, and you probably feel that way in your life. By the way, if you have any interesting little anecdotes you want to share of maybe some, some timing issues in your life, uh go ahead and comment on this post on the net uh episode 132. You know in in the simplest way when you think of children, right? Think of children. Would you give a sharp knife to a toddler? Of course not. Cuz the 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 child, the toddler would not know what to do with it and it would definitely hurt itself, right? So, the parents are very careful that they keep the knives away from the toddlers, <laughs> right? So, that's a little analogy where I think sometimes, you know, even though we're adult human beings, in a spiritual way, we're like spiritual toddlers, and, you know, God or the ultimate doesn't, isn't ready to give us certain things yet because we're not ready to handle them we would just use it to hurt ourselves <laughs> that's why spiritual guides you know if if you're uh if you're a student of a spiritual guide the spiritual guide knows what training you're ready for and when you're ready for it right again another example is like a grandfather or a father knowing when uh when to teach the teenage son how to drive a car. I mean, I know society has an age for that, but, you know, when your teenager, when you feel that they're responsible enough to handle driving a car, you feel it, you know it. And then, and even when they get their driver's license, maybe you don't give them the keys to your car for a while until they've proven themselves that they're a good driver. Then they can borrow the car but not before that. One word that my spiritual guide has mentioned in the past is tapasya. And generally speaking, that means our spiritual practice, the spiritual practice that we do tapasya. And one of the root words uh, I think tapas comes is it means heat and So it's almost like by doing a spiritual practice, we're being heated up. It's almost like we're being cooked. And cooking takes time. You know, if you want to cook spaghetti, it takes, you know, eight or nine or ten minutes, whatever it is. I mean, you can't put the spaghetti in and one minute later say, okay, it's all done. I'm hungry. I want to eat. And then, dump out all the water and try to eat because it won't be cooked so things things take time in the physical world. Yes, spaghetti takes time to cook in the spiritual world, from our story, the man was not ready to take to become a king until you know certain things happened, and he sort of turned his luck around and he got got in the right frame of mind and the right frame of heart. So, patience is obviously so important. Personally, I'm always working on patience um, on one level or another. Um, You know, sometimes in our lives we work really hard for something. You know, we'll put our nose to the grindstone and work really, really hard, and we just don't see results coming from it, you know. I mean, when I was doing coaching and speaking around my book and trying to teach people about mindset and attitude. I was doing a lot of public speaking. I was doing a lot of networking and I was busy, but I wasn't really succeeding in business. (laughs) I was working hard. I was making progress, but I wasn't seeing the results of it yet. um, Which the results started to come later. So it's almost like I had to build up momentum. And I think we all have to do that in our lives as well. You know, when people, for instance, when they start meditation or restart, it takes time, right? It takes time to get back into it, to get, you know, some of that feeling back, some of that confidence back. So it takes time, and and as we're going through this time, we have to be patient, and at the same time we're patient, we have to be confident that we will reach our goal, even though it doesn't seem like we're reaching it right in this moment or today. You know, it's great to remain content and serene in life, you know, almost like the like the saints and the the rishis, you know, they're just always very calm, serene, with a slight smile, right? And we, you and me, we can live that way too. Um, but here's the thing, we don't have to just check out on life and, you know, just ignore everything and, you know, not not do anything, right? We have to keep doing something. So at the same time we're serene, we can also be simultaneously working towards a better future. It reminds me of the movie Miracle. The movie's called Miracle. It's about the 1980 United States Olympic hockey team and how they were basically a bunch of college kids and they were playing against all professionals and they ended up winning the gold medal and it's it's one of the greatest stories of all in sports of all time um you know the man of the century or the sportsman of the century award for that century was given to not a man but that team <laughs> the 1980 olympic hockey United States Olympic hockey team and the coach his name was Herb Brooks and Herb was a cool guy this guy was on another level very, you know, grounded in the real world and practical. But he had something about him. I mean, on the DVD, there's these extra scenes that they, you know, behind the scenes stuff. And there's probably about 20 minutes of when the director was talking to Herb Brooks before they even started filming the movie, you know, because they were just trying to learn about Herb Brooks. And he would talk about how he would coach the team and some of the techniques he would use and how he would treat the players. And, you know, he said he always used to keep them on the bubble, you know, always kind of questioning, you know, am I going to play or am I not going to play? You know, because, well, it's so much psychology to do with that. The reason I brought it up here, which if you haven't seen Miracle, that's it's a great movie, Herb Brooks used to tell his team we have to make sacrifices for the unknown. You know, he would tell them, look, we're going there. We're going into the unknown. And to get there, we have to make sacrifices. And, you know, you got to think about that one, that, that sentence for a little while. We have to make sacrifices for the unknown. Because that's how he got his team to work so hard. And then... It's almost, you know, if you work really hard and then just let nature unfold the result. Right? I mean, that's in a way that's one of the main messages in the Bhagavad Gita as well. Do your work and but don't, you know, don't worry about the fruit of your labor or don't worry about the results. Let na- nature will take care of the results. So again, timing Right He had to, I mean, I think that hockey team practiced for like was it six months or nine months or they did a lot of practicing and scrimmages and playing games and um, it took time. It, you know, they had to build up and put in the work so that when they got to play the Russians in the in the final rounds of the Olympics, they were able to win. But if they had done that five months earlier, they would have gotten killed. So things take time, and you know, in spirituality, the saying, he travels fastest who travels alone, is very true. So the spiritual path is, I won't say it's a lonely path, it's a solitary path. It's just you. It's you and God in your heart. So you're never alone, but we can't take our family and our church and our husband and wife with us, that kind of thing. It's just us. So, Um, And one other analogy I really like is boating down a river. So in the theme of, you know, things take time, right, and we have to be patient, yet we also have to put in effort. To work towards a better future, right? So, think if you're boating down a river. Let's say it's a ten-mile boat ride down to, down the river to the ocean, it, and you're it's you in a boat. That's it, like a rowboat or a canoe. If you paddle downstream or row downstream, and you stay in the middle of the river where the water is moving fastest. And you're not distracted by things on the right or left, and you're focused, and you're going with the flow, you will reach the goal the fastest, and you'll be able to enjoy that goal. You know, spiritually, our goal is uh, some sort of bliss, or or non-bliss bliss, or reality or something, right? Um so we can get there sooner than later if we go with the flow and don't get distracted by a hundred things. So now picture there's another guy in a boat. You could say it's me. <laughs> picture there's me in a boat. And let's say we leave at the same time, you and me. But I I go over to the side of the river. I you know, I see some orange flower. I go and look at the flower. You know, and then I fall asleep, and then I keep rowing down the river, but I go to the other side of the river. There's people. I'm waving and whatever, and then, then I paddle down river. but then I go. I get distracted again. I go to the other side of the river. It's going to take me a long time to reach the goal, and you know what? Maybe I get to the side of the river. Maybe there's an alligator over there. Maybe I run into real trouble. <laughs> maybe I don't even reach the goal. So anyway, that's a little analogy there of how we can put in effort. We can go with the flow. Of course, we have to be patient and things take time to unfold. But if we try and do it the right way, um, and, and, and you have to find out what that is for yourself by experimentation and practicing, um, you can definitely reach your goal sooner than later and it's just an amazing adventure and I'm happy to be on this adventure with you So, I hope you like the story I hope the concept of timing in nature and timing in spirituality is something you can think about maybe even talk to some of your friends about maybe reflect on write in your diary So we'll be back next week, and in the meantime, check out all our previous episodes on the website, themysticshow.net. And until next time, you probably already know, keep shining.